And this is not just having self-care and relaxing and going on the beach or watching your favorite show. I think it's very important that to know that self-care is also having good health care or taking health care into your own hands um, and doing what you need to do for you. Put yourself first when you have that opportunity to do so. And that's what I did. What can we learn from a fellow nurse who received a life-changing diagnosis of breast cancer and is now a survivor and strong advocate for timely screenings and personal wellness? Let's talk all about it with Care Regional Medical Center nurse, Rachel Vasquez, right here on episode 396 of The Nurse Keith Show. Hey there, this is Nurse Keith. This podcast is all about you, your personal and professional development, your nursing career, and the healthcare system in the bigger picture. And I'm here to share education, ideas, diatribes, and informative interviews with some of the most inspiring people out there. I love having you along for the ride. And I thank you from the bottom of my nurse podcaster's heart for being part of the growing Nurse Keith Nation. And if you'd like to help other people find the show, you can do me a solid, leave a rating and review over on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or Amazon or Spotify, anywhere you happen to use and listen to the show. And please be, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Nurse Keith. I appreciate my patrons and listeners and reviewers so, so, so much. And please head over to nursekeith.com to the drop down menu to find the show notes for this episode. And Rachel Vasquez is a nurse coming to us from New Jersey, the land of my birth. And she received a diagnosis some time ago, which changed her life. And we really want to talk about, Rachel, what it's like as a nurse to receive a diagnosis like this and then be on the other side of the stethoscope. So, What was going on in your life before you received a diagnosis of breast cancer? Well, first, thank you so much for having me on the podcast to share my story. I really appreciate uh, this time to share. Um, So before I got my diagnosis, I'm a new mom. I had a baby in July of 2020, and I was wrapping up my maternity leave, getting ready to go back to work. and I was getting everything in line to get, you know, some doctor's appointments uh, done. And I remembered I got a a reminder about a a wellness reminder from my employer. And I went to the doctor and, you know, the journey started from there. We, you know, got a mammogram ordered and went from there. So I was running around after a baby and a toddler. Wow. Now, you had a baby in the summer of 2020. So right smack dab in those first six months of the pandemic, first of all. Yeah. Right. Yep. And you you were on maternity leave. So the world was already a little topsy-turvy and upside down. And so you already had one child and this was your second child. No, this is my was my first. Oh, this right. This was your first. Oh, now you have a toddler. I see. Yes. Yeah. So you had a child and your employer, Atlanticare, sent you a reminder just to go to the doctor for a checkup. Yep. So our employer is very big on wellness and supporting employees to get their annual screenings, whether it be um, a specialized screening from a 
you know, GI specialists, but we really promote having our yearly checkups, uh, you know, basic blood work. And I got that reminder and it gave me that, oh, I have to go. I, you know, it's time for me to go. And they gave me my uh, script for my first mammogram. Okay. Because I was 40. Oh, I see. Okay. You had just turned 40 as well after having your first child. Wow. So first of all, lovely to hear of an employer who actually goes out of their way to remind you to get your regular screenings. And I've been a nurse for 26 years. You're a nurse. Most of my listeners are nurses. So we're not always the best patients and we're often focused on other people. Would you characterize yourself as one of those nurses who kind of spends a lot of time like thinking about the people you love and what they should do and what they need? Absolutely. I think as a nurse, and now a new mom, I am sort of programmed to put other people before myself, to take care of my patients, now my daughter. Um, and if COVID kind of taught me anything, being mm-hmm. in the midst of all of that, is to take the time for self-care. And this is not just having self-care and relaxing and going on the beach or watching your favorite show, I think it's very important that to know that self-care is also having good health care or taking health care into your own hands um, and doing what you need to do for you. Put yourself first when you have that opportunity to do so. And that's what I did. I'm so glad you said that because self-care is talked about a lot these days in the nursing world. And I think it's great. I mean, I lecture on it. I talk about it. However, you know, there's the tried and true of, you know, meditate, go for walks, eat well, all those things, which are great. Take a bath, you know, all those things. Um, However, nurses, like I said, we're not always the best patients and we might put off our mammogram or, our prostate exam or whatever it is, because we're taking care of our elderly parents and our children and our neighbors and our community members. And you know, it, the list goes on and on. And nurses are nurses for a reason. And we have certain personality traits. And some of us are a little better than others at you know taking care of business when it comes to our own health. So this was a wake-up call for you. And when you went in to see your primary care provider, and they said, oh, you need to go get your mammogram. Did you think anything of it? Or are you just like, oh, I'm just going to schedule my mammogram? It, that's exactly what it was. I didn't think much of it. I knew that it was time. And I was thankful for the reminder that my primary provider gave me. And I just thought it was, okay, I'll go for another test. I'll schedule it when I have the time. Mm-hmm. Um, like everything else, it, it would would have been easy to put off. We all have those things, right? Um, mm-hmm. But I, if it was not for my provider really supporting me and saying, this is your first mammogram, you're 40, this is the best way to get your baseline mammogram, you know, mm-hmm. please don't put it off. And I, I'm so thankful that I didn't. I, I went and scheduled it for the first available and that story continues from there, but I had the support. I'm glad I did. Yeah. And you'd already been under stress. I mean, you had a child, which is a wonderful event, but also a stressful event. So when the pandemic hit, you were ready, you know, you were 
you had a baby in the midst of that beginning of the pandemic. You were working as a clinical manager of a 50 bed medical telemetry unit. You know, you had a lot going on and there's always a reason to put off your own stuff. So when you got those results of the mammogram, how did it hit you? Was it, you know, what were your first thoughts and did it feel like, oh my gosh, this must be a mistake? You know, I think back to that day and the mammography tech said to me, you know, since this is your first mammogram, sometimes they do call you back because you're, uh, you are a new mom. Sometimes they see certain things on there that are not necessarily negative finding, but they might call you back so they can do some further imaging. So I was appreciative of that. And then when I got called back, I had a little bit of nerves thinking, I think they found something, but I wasn't sure. So after that second mammogram, the radiologist came and spoke with me and encouraged me highly to get a biopsy because he couldn't say for sure just from looking at it that it was or was not cancer, but said this absolutely needs a biopsy. And in my gut, I knew that it was something. Mm -hmm. And it was scary. I have a baby, I have a family, and you don't have to have a baby for things to be scary, but that's my story, you know, and that's Mm -hmm. part of what drove me to get it done, to know I have a family to take care of. But I thought of her in that moment. And I said, no matter what this is, I have to do what I can to be here for her. Mm-hmm. I was scared, mm-hmm. but, but still thankful at the same time, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, scary things are, they make us scared for a reason because we can sense change coming. We can sense danger, obviously. And we just know that life may never be the same. And once you get a cancer diagnosis, I have not had one myself, but I've known many people who have. It's sort of like there's your life before the cancer diagnosis and there's the life after. And so when you have a baby, your life changes irrevocably or you become a nurse or you get married, whatever it is. I mean, there are major life events. And if you look at those lists of top stressors in life, you hit a number of them all around the same time. Plus you were living and working in the midst of the first global pandemic in a hundred years. So just saying, I mean, you had enough on board to be running a whole lot of cortisol in your body. at that time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, did you have any family history of breast cancer that had already given you pause? I had no known history, none at all on either side of uh, my family. And I actually uh, was pretty good about doing my own self exams and I felt nothing either. Um, so this really was quite shocking to, to walk into when I got that diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's, what's kind of the global impact on, and I know it's right now it's you, your husband and your daughter. So there's three of you, but still you have other loved ones, I'm sure extended family, friends, people who love you. When, when you receive a diagnosis like this, what's like, what's the ripple effect like? I mean, people have all sorts of reactions, don't they? 
They do. That's a great question. I think I was hesitant to tell one of the, besides my husband, of course, um, we told my in-laws um, because we knew that they, we were going to really need their support also with childcare. They live nearby. Mm-hmm. Um, and I waited to tell my uncle, who's my one family member that I'm the most close to. Um, I waited to kind of get all my stuff together. I was afraid, to, not afraid. I shouldn't use that word. Um, I, him and I are very close, my uncle and I, and I knew that it would be difficult for him to hear that I had this diagnosis. Um, and I knew still to, he's still upset about it. He, you know, it was upsetting for me to say, and I know it was upsetting for him to hear, but I've had nothing but support. My, my work colleagues, my family, my friends, people that I know really do care about me have stepped up and supported me and people that I didn't think would step up really have shown some, some great appreciation and love and respect for me. And I, it's, it's been great to have that support. That's really lovely. And it sounds like there was a lot of support from Atlantic Care, your employer. I mean, they did send you the reminder, you know, to go for your physical and all that kind of stuff, which is great. And I think any employer, every employer should have, that should be sort of like a standard for what employers do for their staff. But it sounds like your employer has really been present for you on different levels throughout this whole journey. Is that is that accurate? Yes, that's very accurate. I was transitioning out of my previous role into a new role when this uh, diagnosis came about. Um, and having this diagnosis found so early was also part of being able to manage my work and my treatment. Um, but had it not been for the support of my director and my my colleagues, you know, helping me, I, I don't know how well I would have fared. I like I like working. Um, it's part of it is part of my self care. I know that that might sound like a contradiction, but I enjoy working and I enjoy what I do and I enjoy who I do it for and with. And the support that I've had from the organization and my colleagues has helped me do that. So I'm so thankful for that as well. That's really wonderful because when we get a scary diagnosis, obviously our world changes. Like I said, there's, you know, everything changes and our life will never quite be the same again on many levels. And lots of things can happen. We can feel like we could lose our job. People might abandon us. Our employer might be like, okay, see you later. You know, there's lots of things that can happen. And we hear lots of stories of people who they get a life-threatening diagnosis and, you know, things don't go so well for them in their lives. So if you can be supported by your employer, by your family, by your friends, by your colleagues, by your care providers, you kind of get all your ducks in a row and you've got all the people arrayed around you and behind you and beside you. That's what gets us through these tough times. And what have you learned about being a patient? Like what, what do you feel like you walk away with as a nurse? It's like, huh, okay, I've been on the other side now. 
what what do you appreciate about that experience of being a patient? It's very different now that I am seeing things through the patient lens as opposed to the nursing lens. I mean, I'm always a nurse, but I've never been on this side of things before. And I think that it's really opened up my eyes to the patient experience and how the kindness and compassion of the staff that take care of you really do go a long way. And it is amazing to feel like family. I mean, I work at the organization and I felt like family, but even as a patient, I have still feel like, like family. So when we come back from the break, I'd like to talk about your care team a little bit and where you are in your breast cancer survivorship at this juncture and what it's like to get to that last treatment day and ring the gong and know that, you know, that chapter's behind you and you're moving on. And then also just want to ask you a couple of questions about advice for employers, because a lot of leaders listen to this show and I like anything that you might want to share with them that might be like, oh yeah, maybe our organization should do that too. So does that sound like a good plan for the second half? Oh, that sounds great. Great. Yeah. Okay. So stay with us right here. For episode 396, we'll be right back for the second half of the episode with Rachel Vasquez from Atlanticare Regional Medical Center. And welcome back to the second half of the episode. We're here again with friend of the pod and my new friend and colleague, Rachel Vasquez from Atlanticare Regional Medical Center in Southeastern New Jersey. And Rachel, right before the break, we were talking about you know, what it means to have the support of your employer and your family and your friends and your colleagues and the people who are caring for you. And, you know, when you really need a team, this is when team really matters, when you have a life-threatening illness. And I've seen many people I love go through the same. Some people I know going through that in this very moment as I speak. So we talked about what it's like to be on the other side of the stethoscope, so to speak. How about as a nurse, like how does it, how does it strike you now to be a nurse who's been through this? And when you walk in that room and you know that this person in the bed or sitting in the chair is facing something, you know, that could be irrevocably changing their, the trajectory of their life. What goes through your mind now? Like, how do you want to approach that? It really brings a bigger sense of empathy. And I feel like I have a connection with these patients on a different level that I may not have had before. And it's all about creating connections, whether it be with, you know, patients, their families, colleagues. and sharing a similar diagnosis really creates a bond with them that maybe somebody else doesn't have. Treatments vary. Some are very tolerable and some are a little bit tougher. Um, but having that, that common denominator really 
creates that connection. We like to call it like the starfish connection. We make those connections with people. And that is how I can see them. I, I connect with them on a different level that I didn't before. It's not just going in very business-like. It is, it's that human connection. And I understand the fear that they're having mm-hmm. and how their body may change or just their mindset may change. Everybody handles things very differently. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really about the connection that it creates with the patients. And, and their families too. And when we realize, you know, the ripple effect of a diagnosis like this, it affects everybody. Even, even little children feel it on different levels, even if they can't verbalize it. And, you know, there's this notion of therapeutic use of self. And I've divulged to patients over the years things like if I think it would be useful to tell them that, oh, yeah, I live with chronic pain or, yeah, I, I, have lived with depression or PTSD or whatever, you know, I've been honest with patients sometimes only when I know it's going to be good for them, not because I'm like using them to like, you know, clear my head or something, you know, it's therapeutic use of self is important. So you probably just have to be very judicious if you're going to share with someone that you had a particular condition. Absolutely. And it's not even that I would verbalize to them, hey, I had the same diagnosis. Mm-hmm. It is sometimes there's just that that underlying connection mm-hmm. that I can anticipate their fears or worries or needs in a way that maybe somebody that hasn't been going through this can't. Yeah. And you know, not to say that people who you can only have compassion if you've had cancer that by no means you know, do I say that? But there is just a little bit of extra connection, I think, even on a different level. Yeah, right. And in terms of your own treatment, when did this occur and how did it feel when you, you know, you ring the gong when you get your last chemo? Did that happen relatively recently? It did, actually. I had 12 rounds of chemo that just ended on. Um, Halloween. Wow. Congratulations. On October 31st was my last one. And I got to hit that gong and my husband was there. Uh, A lot of the staff were there and it was such an amazing experience. Something I'm happy is over for sure. This part of my journey is is over. I still have some other things to continue. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. But it was amazing to know that I made it through 12 weeks. Mm-hmm. Congratulations. That's Thank really you. wonderful. It must be an amazing thing to, to be on the other side. And I, I just, yeah, I just, I feel that for you. And that's really wonderful. And so right now in your survivorship, you know, you've finished chemo. I'm sure there's lots of follow-up and, you know, there's a lot of timely things you have to take care of. So I guess this is where that whole notion of self-care, where you really stay on top of stuff comes in, right? Is that kind of the driving force now is like, I'm going to stay on top of this stuff. Absolutely. And part of my treatment, I still have to get some 
some things done every month and I have an infusion that I need to get, but it's, it's staying on top of those yearly mammograms for me, you know, my routine blood work, following up with my oncologist and all my providers that I need to see. Um, that is really, I have to stay regimented with that, making sure I stay on top of that. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. And then when we turn 50, we get our first colonoscopy, you know, all this, all these markers of things that we do as we get older. And it's just, it's the way it is. I'm going on 60 soon. And, you know, there's stuff we just have to, you know, our health and our lives change. And we have to keep that priority front and center, even if we're a caregiver and we're a nurse and we're always focused on other people, which, like I said, our personalities lend themselves to that. But speaking of, you know, Breast cancer, your personal experience, being a healthcare provider yourself. What do you want people out there listening to know about breast cancer? Is there something that you feel like is a message that they really just need to hear? There might be a couple messages. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's don't put off getting your screenings, don't put off seeing your doctor. Cancer can be very scary to hear. A lot of diagnosis can be very scary to hear, but get your screenings. And if they can find it, something early it is only going to be beneficial in the, in the long run. So we need to follow up on our screenings when we have an employer who supports us in doing those sorts of things all the better. <laughs> it's wonderful. And a supportive partner and, you know, all of that, that we've talked about. So speaking of employers, what do you, what advice do you have for an employer? Like say there's a nurse leader or a CNO listening right now, what do they need to know when it comes to like, sure, you give nurses, you know, some pizza on nurses week and, you know, you reward them for their hard work, give them a raise, hint, hint, hint. Um, but there's other things you can do. So what would you tell employers when it comes to your employees' health and their wellness? What should they do? What should be like baseline? At baseline, send out the reminders the way Atlanticare did for me. Encourage your team to get their screenings. Maybe make the appointment day embedded in their time off. Um, so they don't have to use personal time off. And I think even being supportive by showing, by being present, I feel like is a, is a very big thing and walk the walk, go, mm -hmm. they should be getting their screenings too. And, and really encouraging all the employees to, to get their screenings and see their provider. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I could picture like a CEO or CNO or whatever, sending out an email saying, Hey, I just went and got my annual mammogram, or I just had my physical. And I'm wondering how many of you have been putting off physical this year or whatever it happens to be. So there's lots of different ways to approach it. And I really, really like the idea of embedding time off for, you know, going to the doctor, going to your nurse practitioner, getting your screenings and where people don't have to use their personal time, their accrued time. I think that's that's really awesome because 
isn't that something that can keep a lot of us from taking care of certain things in our lives? Like, oh my gosh, I'm trying to save up for vacation, you know, and I, I can't disappoint my family. Um, and that's, we should never have to choose between our health and, you know, leisure time because nurses work pretty hard. And what would you say to people whose colleagues have a diagnosis? Like say one of your coworkers gets a, a cancer diagnosis. What should a colleague do? What do you say? I mean, you could say, hey, let me know if you need anything, which is kind of amorphous. Um, what's what's a good thing to say? So I think everybody has a different com- comfort level on what they share. So if they share with you that they have this diagnosis, just express support and ask what you can do for them. And it may seem like a typical question that you're not looking for an answer for, but look for something if there is something that you can do. Just be there to support them. Ask them, how are you doing? Is there anything that I can do for you? And if you notice that somebody is struggling a particular day, whether it be you know uh, spiritually or emotionally, you can acknowledge that if you have that relationship with them and acknowledge the hard time that they're going through and just support them. That I think is the, the biggest the biggest piece of advice I could give people. Don't be afraid to support your colleague. Yeah. And it's okay to say, you know, I'm not quite sure how I can help you, but I have, you know, I'm off Friday and Saturday is there something concrete I could do for you? And a friend of mine recently had cancer. And what we did is we created one of those, you know, caring bridge websites. You know, there's all different websites you can use um, to arrange meals and rides and, you know, where you give people specific tasks, like, you know, deliver dinner to Janice, you know, on Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday at 530. So did you use anything like that? I didn't need to do anything to that level, um, mm-hmm. but I do know of some friends of mine that had um, had set that up for another friend of ours who, you know, with the meals, um, you know, you're going to help with this this day. I was fortunate enough that I could still work and and do very all my normal day to day things. Mm-hmm. Um, but for people who don't have that, I think that that is a great, great option for people yeah. to, to help support. And it's a good thing to bring to your patients. You know, if your patients are talking about the fact that, you know, they're having trouble, you know, getting food on the table, you can say, hey, do you know there are these free websites you can set up? And when people ask you what they can do, you give them a link. And when people have a specific task, like, okay, I'm going to bring George dinner on Friday. You know, it really makes them feel good and it makes them feel like, okay, I can do something concrete. You know, I'm going to feed George and his family on Friday, you know, and you can cross that off your to-do list and feel like, okay, I did something he really needed. I didn't just like drop off flowers. I did something very specific. And I think that specificity is really great. And before we wind down and I'm loving talking to you, I just wanted to ask you, what are you hoping to be? an optimal outcome of you sharing your story, whether here or elsewhere, what would you like to see happen for someone out there in the world, even one person? The biggest 
reason I want to share my story is that I want at least one person to not put off getting their mammogram or other specialized screening. Mm-hmm. And it, to let everybody know that I am the face of breast cancer. Mm-hmm. It's not a specific age group anymore. It's not a specific location in the world. It could be anybody. That's true. Either get your screenings or encourage the people in your life to get your screenings. Mm -hmm. And that is why I want to share my story is to just encourage everybody to don't put it off. Mm -hmm. Don't put it off. Thank you. That's great. I think that's a really great outcome. Now, before we go, I have four quick questions I ask all my guests. And are you game for a quick lightning round of a few questions? Sure. Yeah? Okay. First question is, how do you define success, either personally or professionally? I think that it is... That's a very great question. Um, Success for me is how far I can reach other people and like spread awareness about whatever I'm discussing, you know, whether it be breast cancer um, or even at work, you know, my, if my kindness stretches further than my arms can reach, if that makes sense, you know, if that sense. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's a nice one. I like that. My, my kindness stretches further than my arms can reach that. That's beautiful. I love that. That's a good one. Second question. Could you name, or if you don't want to name them, just describe a person who's inspired you in the course of your life. They could be living or dead. It could be a famous person, or it could be someone none of us have ever met before. That is the easiest question. By far, hands down, my Uncle Jim hmm. is my biggest light my biggest supporter and he has helped shape me into the woman I am today. He had the biggest hand in my upbringing and he is truly just an inspiration to me and my best friend. Hmm, that's beautiful. Thank you. I'm I'm an uncle myself. I'm now a great uncle too and and those are special relationships and they can really be so impactful and, and just have a deep, deep you know, imprint on us for life. So that's lovely. Thank you. The next to last question, penultimate question, is there a book or a movie? It doesn't have to be like an absolute favorite, just one that has had an impact on the way you think or the way you live your life. I've read a few books that have helped me not just personally, but professionally. Um, mm-hmm. There's um, a book called The Heart-Led Leader that mm-hmm. I love. It's a different story. It's about the 12 inches uh, from your head to your heart. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. Um, which I very much enjoyed reading. It helped me on a personal and a professional level. Mm-hmm. I actually shared that book with somebody, um, so I no longer have it. But it's... it's um, it was a very inspiring book. It helped me in my professional journey um, in leadership and actually on my you know, personal private journey, helped me get through some difficult times 
like mm. my diagnosis. A heart-led leader. Yes. That's a good one. I'm going to put that on my list. Thank you. Okay, now the last question. What's one piece of advice you would give 18-year-old Rachel right now, whether you think she would listen or not? I think just stay strong Mm -hmm. and nothing is as bad as it seems at first. I could go into this for a very long time. You really have some time. There's, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, to talk to my younger self, hmm. you don't know what lies ahead, but stay strong and surround yourself with people that love you. Hmm. Could not give better advice to an 18 year old. And mm-hmm. I bet she'd listen. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> yeah. Well, Rachel, this has been so lovely. And just like you said, if one person goes out there and it's like, damn it, I'm going to book my mammogram tomorrow. You know, if one person goes out and does that, that's awesome. So that's a real win. And I mm-hmm. really appreciate your time and you being willing to share your story. It's a very intimate, personal journey. And thank you so, so much for sharing about that and about Atlanticare and just how this has been for you. And I really wish you the very, very, very best today and always. Thank you so much. Thank you very, very much for giving me the time to share my story. And that's all we want is at least one person to go get their mammogram because of my story. Consider it done. Well, there you have it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Nurse Keith Show. Remember, head over to the show notes through the drop down menu from podcast to learn all about Rachel and Atlantic Care. I hope you feel uplifted, empowered from this episode, and I hope you or someone you love or someone you care for will go out there and get their timely screening tomorrow. And if you need personalized holistic career coaching to elevate your nursing career, head over to nursekeith.com, mention the show and get 10% off your first career coaching package and become a patron at patreon.com. If you'd like to support the show, that would be so awesome. We're proud members of the Health Podcast Network at healthpodcastnetwork.com. We're produced adroitly by Rob Johnston of 520R Podcasting and Mark Cappiespeason is our stalwart social media ringmaster and newsletter wrangler. Before we say goodbye, I'll leave you with this quote by the musician Robert Fripp. May my living honor my parents. May my living repay the debt of my existence. Be well, dig deep, seek joy, keep in touch. This is Nurse Keith saying adios till next time from beautiful Santa Fe, New Mexico. And Rachel Vasquez saying arrivederci from? Ocean County, New Jersey. Ocean County, so close to the place of my birth. Thank you so much, Rachel. Thank you to everyone for listening. And we will catch you on the proverbial flip side.